Welcome to Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. You probably have a lot of curiosity about your family history, but not a lot of time. And that's why I created this podcast. In each episode, I'm going to give you the tools you need to uncover your family tree in quick and easy ways. In our first segment, we're going to get acquainted with the largest depository of genealogy in the world, the Family History Library in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's free and available to the public, and I'm going to get you ready to make good use of it. And if you're already tapping into its resources, I've got some catalog search tips that are going to help you get even better results. Then in our second segment, my guest is Don R. Anderson, director of the Family History Library. We'll be talking about the library as it is today and the vision for the Family History Library of tomorrow. Well, our goal has really been to, to take all of the services that today you have to go into family history centers, the family history library, into physical locations, and make those available wherever you are, whenever you have the time to do it. Creating an experience where I know where I left off, and I can do things in small pieces, and I can do it in that late at night hour when the kids are asleep and I finally get a moment to myself. That, that's, uh, that's key to helping to get more people involved than, than just those who are engaged today, but also helping those that are engaged today to be able to be more successful, more quickly, and coming to better conclusions. Are you trying to help people to connect with their ancestors, to learn a little bit more about themselves to their ancestors, to, to make that connection, and, uh, and to be able to, to, to feel the spirit of that work, which, uh, which brings a lot of joy into individuals' lives, and, and uh, that, that's what we're trying to accomplish. of genealogical material on the internet but of course it's scattered all over the place and while we will definitely be covering locating online family history materials in depth throughout this podcast series there is one mountain of genealogical resources literally a mountain and it's available from one single website the family search website and within that website can be found the family history library And the holdings of that library go well beyond the main library in Salt Lake City to literally a granite mountain in Utah where millions of records from around the world are held in perfectly preserved environments. So before we do any more traipsing around the World Wide Web, we are going to talk about this largest genealogy library in the world, the Family History Library. The Family History Library was founded over a 100 years ago in 1894 to gather genealogical records and help members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with their family history research. And of course, one of the big questions I get asked about the library is, do you have to be a member of the church to use it? And the answer is, absolutely not. It is open to the public and free of charge. In fact, it's estimated that almost 2,000 people visit the library in Salt Lake City every day. But of course, a trip to Salt Lake City may not be in the cards for you anytime soon. But that's no problem, because the library catalog is online, and its materials are as close as one of the over 4,500 family history centers that operate in more than 100 countries. 
So let's dig right in and talk about the kinds of records that you can find at the Family History Library. Here are just a few statistics to sort of whet your appetite. The library collection includes over 2.4 million rolls of microfilmed genealogical records, 720,000 microfiche, about 356,000 books, serials, and other formats, over 4,500 periodicals, uh, over 3,700 electronic resources. That's a lot. You will find records from the United States, Canada, the British Isles, Europe, Latin America, Asia, and Africa, from over 110 countries and territories. And the majority of the records contain information about people who lived before 1930. Their ancestral file database contains more than 36 million names that are linked into families. And the library's International Genealogical Index Database, which is commonly referred to as the IGI, contains approximately 600 million names of deceased individuals. An addendum to the IGI contains an additional 125 million names. These names have been submitted by patrons of the library or extracted from thousands of original birth, christening, and marriage records. The pedigree resource file database contains over a hundred million names that are also linked into families. And the amount of records is growing rapidly. Approximately 200 cameras are currently microfilming records in over 45 countries as we speak. So what type of records can you find at the library? Pretty much any type of genealogy record that you can think of, such as church registers of christening, marriage and burials, civil registrations, which are also known as vital records, censuses, military records, wills and probate, land and property records, court documents, guild records, family histories, and a whole lot more. But of course, all these records are of little use if you don't know how to find them. But thankfully, that is really easy to do from the comfort of your own home and your computer. So let's get started. You start from the Family Search website at FamilySearch.org. Now, across the top, you'll see the navigation bar, and you'll just want to click on the Library tab, which will drop down a menu, and you'll select Library Catalog. This takes you to the Library Catalog search page. Now, there are eight different options for searching the online catalog, and you can search by place, surname, keyword, title, microfilm or microfiche number, author, subject, or call number. So let's start with a place search and show you how the catalog works. And then I'll go through the other types of searches and give you some hot search tips to get even better results. So start by clicking the place button. And you'll find search fields called place, which is a mandatory search field. And the other one is called part of, which is an optional search field. Hmm, part of. Right about now, I think we need to stop and talk about the term jurisdiction. Every place in the world has different levels of jurisdictions. And in the U.S., people live in a city located within a county, within one of the 50 states, within the country of the United States. So if I wanted to locate information about the place where my husband's Larson relatives lived, I would type in the city name in the place field, and the city name would be Winthrop, 
And in the part of field, I would type in the name of the county, which in this case would be Sibley. I could type in just the place name, but that would give me results that include every place called Winthrop. And there's no need for that because I just want to look at records for Winthrop in Sibley County, Minnesota. And if I wanted to find records for Sibley County, Minnesota, I would just type in Sibley in the place field and Minnesota in the part of field. So you get the idea how jurisdiction works. You're going to want to include a location in the part of field if you can possibly do it, because again, that's going to narrow down your results. So here's a place search tip. When searching for records in a place your ancestors lived in, be sure to look in each level of jurisdiction. Records are created and maintained by every jurisdiction level, and pertinent information to your search could be in any of those levels, the town, the county, or the state. So while many vital records are kept at the county level, town histories are more likely going to be found at the city level, and so on. So once you've entered a place and filled in the part of field and click the search button, you're going to be taken to the results list. And just pick from the results list. There may be just one link or there might be dozens of links depending on how common the place names are. For Winthrop Sibley, there was only one result called Minnesota, Sibley, Winthrop. And that's my place, so I click the link which will take me to the place details page which includes a list of topics. Again, there might be a lot of topics or just one. And in the case of Winthrop, there's just one topic listed and it's church records for Winthrop, Minnesota. So you just click the link to the records or the topic that you want. And that will take you to the topics details page where you'll find a list of all the items within that topic. So there might be Lutheran church records, Methodist church records, and so on. You just click on the title of the records that you want, and you'll be taken to the title details page for that record. Here, you're going to get details on just that particular record. This looks a lot like the results that you might get in a card catalog for your local library. You'll see the title, the author, and the last item is called physical. And this is a real key. Physical tells you what kind of item it is. As we mentioned, the library has a lot of different types of items, books, microfilm, microfiche, that kind of thing. Well, many times the records are going to be on microfilm, so it will tell you how many rolls of microfilm the records are contained on, or it might list that it's a book. In this case, I'm looking at Catholic Church Records for Winthrop, Minnesota. Now, in the upper right corner, you'll find a button called view film notes if it is a microfilm and you'll want to click that to see even more details about the microfilms. It's on this page that you'll get the specific file number that you're going to need in order to order the film or if you're lucky enough to actually be at the library in Salt Lake City you would use this number to retrieve the film off the shelves. But chances are you have found this record at home so if you want to order the microfilm, you could do so through one of the 4,500 family history centers located around the world, and very likely there's probably one near you. So stay tuned because we'll be talking all about the family history centers, how to use them, and how to order the microfilm in our next few episodes. But for right now, if you think this is a film that you'd like to look at, you can bookmark it using your internet browser's favorites feature. I would suggest printing the item out so that you can take it with you to order it at the center. 
You can find a link at the bottom of the page. It says, for a printable version of this record, click here and click your browser's print button. So just you just do that to print it out. Now, I'm going to have a link on the web page for this episode number 16 to everything that we're talking about here today. So be sure and visit the website. Stay tuned. I've got more Family History Library search tips for you right after this. So now let's talk about the surname search. So go back to the main search page and click the surname button. Type in your family surname and click search. And you'll get a surname search results page. Now, most of the results you'll find here are family histories known as compiled works. Click on the link that you think most closely matches the family line that you're researching, and it will take you to the title details page for that work. And this will look like the results we got in our place search. Records will be on microfilm or microfiche or a book, which is very likely what you're going to find when you're looking at family histories. If it's a book, you'll see a call number. Now, while the Family History Library doesn't circulate its books, you can't borrow them and have them sent to your local Family History Library. They all remain in Salt Lake City. The book may be available on microfilm, and that would be indicated on this page. If so, you could then order the book on microfilm to view it at your local Family History Center. If not, you'll have lots of good details about the book so that you can try to find it through your local library or maybe even get lucky and find a digitized version of the book on Google Books on the Internet. The Family History Library has many one-of-a-kind family histories because so many people who do publish their work send a copy to the library since it is the largest genealogy library in the world. So for each of the eight types of searches that I've mentioned at the beginning of this segment, just follow the same basic search process. But as promised, I do have a few extra search tips for you to get even more out of your Family History Library catalog search. First, be aware that you don't need to know all of a book title, a place name, or a keyword in order to search the catalog. You, you can begin by just typing the first few letters of a word, and the computer will find all variations of letters to the right of what you type. And this is called truncation. Truncation is particularly helpful if you know only part of a word or a name, or if you're not too sure about the spelling. So, for example, if you type in L-O-U-I in a place search, because you're not so sure how to spell Louisiana, you'll get results for Louisiana, but also for St. Louis, Fort Louis, Louise, you get the idea. For surname searches, be sure and search for alternative spellings. Use the truncation feature. For common surnames, don't just use the surname search. Instead, for that surname, do a keyword search and add a keyword with your surname to narrow down the results. So, for example, if you only want to see records for the surname Larson in the state of Minnesota, you would do a keyword search typing in Larson, leave a space, and then type Minnesota. And this would work great for the name Larson because it's such a common name. And if you don't know the order of the words in a title of a book, it's no problem. Just leave a single space between the words and you'll get results on those words no matter what order they do appear in the book title. Now here's a tip for an author search. Now remember, authors aren't just individual people. 
Government agencies, for example, also publish books and records. To search for records by a government, church, business, or other type of institution, just type the institution's name in the surname or corporate name field. And here's a book call number tip: call numbers of books and numbers for microfilm or microfiche are not interchangeable. If both a microfilm and a physical book are available for a topic, you must use the call number listed if you want to locate the actual book, and the microfilm number for microfilm. And keep in mind that you, to search a call number, you have to enter that call number exactly as it's listed, using case-sensitive letters. Type upper and lowercase letters exactly as they would appear in the catalog. So, if you hear about a book and you want to see if the library has a copy. You would enter the call number exactly as you find it in your call number search. Or if you do make a trip to the library in Salt Lake City and you happen to cross a great book on the shelf, but you don't have time to sit down and read it right then and there, and you'd like to see if they have that same book available on microfilm so that you could order it when you get back home and, and look at it at your convenience, you could do a call number search on one of the library's computers. And see if that book is available on microfilm. Call numbers are usually printed on two or more lines on the binding label of the book, and just type the first line, a space, and then the second line. And that brings us at this point to visiting the library in person. The Family History Library is located at 35 Northwest Temple Street in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'll include the address, the phone number, and the email address on the web page for this episode. It would be very easy to spend a week in Salt Lake City and just spend the entire time in the library, but even if it's just a one-day visit, you can accomplish quite a bit. Here are some other interesting facts about the library. It's a whopping 142,000 square feet covering five floors. Its humidity, temperature, and lighting are all designed for maximum protection of their collection. And at last count, you'll find 314 computers available for your use, 408 microfilm readers, 36 microfiche readers, 28 microfilm and microfiche copiers, four microfilm scanners, 14 book copiers, and four book scanners, and seating capacity for over 375 people at tables. So, as you can imagine, the library can be a bit overwhelming on your first visit. So you might want to attend one of their orientations or research classes to get you going when you arrive. And their 125 professional staff members are really, really knowledgeable and are very willing to assist you. And in addition to their professional expert staff, the library has about 700 trained volunteers who keep it going. And speaking of keeping the Family History Library going, coming up next, I'll be talking with the director of the Family History Library, Don Anderson, about the library today and the vision for its future. And in our next episode, I'm going to help you tap into the resources of the library from your neighborhood Family History Center. Back, and I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Don Anderson is the director of the Family History Library in Salt Lake City. In this role, he has the responsibility for the Family Search Family History Library as well as Family Search worldwide support. 
In his role for Family Search, Don has traveled to more than 27 countries on five continents to ensure that services are available to those around the world who are searching for their ancestors. I recently had an opportunity to sit down and talk with Don in Mesa, Arizona, at a genealogy conference. Here's my conversation with him. I'm here at the Family History Expo in Mesa, Arizona, and I have with me, I'm very pleased to say, Don Anderson, who is the director of Family History Library. Welcome, Don. Thank you. Everybody has such a treat this morning because we had a chance to have you come and speak to the entire group that assembled here today. Tell us what you were talking about. I was talking about uh, really the, the changes that are coming with uh, uh, technology and family history and the digital conversion that we have, the, the changes that are around uh, collaboration and the, the types of uh, services and communities that are evolving around individuals working together to solve family history problems, as well as some of the, the fun things that we're doing in Family Search around uh, engaging with communities, uh, delivering records digitally, and uh, helping individuals to be able to do family history from home in their pajamas. Exactly. Well, that's the way we love it. Um, it. Really, the Internet has been the catalyst for all of this amazing innovation. And it really, you folks at the Family History Library, and through the Family Search website, have just been leaders in that area. Tell us more about some of the exciting ways that the digital age is helping you to um, bring an access to genealogy to uh, all of the researchers out there. Well, our goal has really been to, to take all of the services that today you have to go into family history centers, the family history library, into physical locations, and make those available wherever you are, whenever you have the time to do it. So my, my topic this morning, I talked a lot about doing uh, genealogy in pajamas. And, uh, and, but our, our focus is that uh, the, the key elements of I can learn about family history, I can have access to resources to answer my questions, I can access digital records, and, uh, and I can get help through a variety of experts, but also through a community, and, uh, and bring those resources to bear. So from Family Search, you see uh, uh, products like Record Search, uh, which, in which we're uh, delivering the indexes and digital images. You see the, the Family Tree, which allows individuals to organize their information, uh, as well as products like Family Search Wiki that are allowing the community to come together and, uh, and author content in a collaborative way. And really just the beginning of what will be a, a wide variety of services. Uh, most recently, we, we placed the England beginning, beginning Research Series that's been being taught in the Family History Library on Saturdays uh, online. And so you can go on and take that full uh, course that previously you'd have to come to the library to take, and you can do it anytime you'd like, from anywhere you'd like. You know, the word that you used repetitively, which I just think is the key, is access. Access, access. And, and that's really what uh, the Internet is making it possible, isn't it? It's opening the doors wide open to access not just the records and the databases, but that educational component and each other. And it sounds like that's really what you're achieving. It is. And, uh, and the ability to, to be able to have individuals who, who previously uh, didn't have the time uh, to be able to get involved in family history that they can. So many 
people, the time that they have is the time after the kids go to bed at night. Right. They have a half an hour here, a half an hour there. And and with the way we do uh, research today, it often means that you spend 80% of your time remembering where you left off. And so creating... <laughs> have you been watching me do my research? <laughs> oh. Creating an experience where I know where I left off and I can do things in small pieces and I can do it in that late at night hour when the kids are asleep and I finally get a moment to myself. That That's uh, that's key to helping to get more people involved than, than just those who are engaged today, but hopefully and coming to better conclusions. And I love that because that's the other side of the access is that uh, it, no matter how much you make it available, if it still is tremendously time-consuming, then those with a limited amount of time just are never going to be able to really get involved. And you're really making it possible that even, I would say, with one or two hours a week, a person could make a dent and they could learn something new this week that would help further their research. They, they could get involved, couldn't they? That's the goal, and uh, and I think we're, we're getting there kind of one piece at a time. So you, the the Internet and the, the ability to help individuals to, to track where they're at and to bring records to them as opposed to take them to the, to the records and to bring expertise to them as opposed to the other way around makes it to where individuals can get engaged in much smaller time segments. A, a good example is what we've done with family search indexing. So in the past, universal data entry, that, that wonderful uh, a product that, that where you spent uh, many, many hours to try and get a single batch done and, uh, and really had to dedicate a substantial amount of time to a change to family search indexing where I can bring down a small batch uh, typically between a half an hour and 40 minutes, I can complete that batch. I have both a, a sense of accomplishment and I've been able to really contribute towards the work moving forward in, again, that much smaller time segment that makes it more accessible to, to many more people. I think that's a wonderful aspect of what you're doing in, the, in that you're bringing in anybody who really wants to be helpful, who wants to be involved, can. And, of course, when we get involved, don't we find ourselves feeling more ownership and more of a sense of empowerment that, wow, I, I really want to keep this up. I don't want to just drop the ball on my own research when I when I made this difference in this other way. I just think that's tremendous. Are you trying to help people to connect with their ancestors, to learn a little bit more about themselves to their ancestors, to, to make that connection, and uh, and to be able to, to, to feel the spirit of that work? Which, uh, which brings a lot of joy into individuals' lives, and, and uh, that, that's what we're trying to accomplish. What a way to make a difference. Tell us, uh, what can we look for in 2009 when it comes to the Family Search website and the Family History Library? So more records uh, being produced digitally, uh, more indexes, uh, and continued enhancements in our, in our Family Tree product. Um, a, a, a broader range of indexing. I hope to be able to help have more uh, projects that are available so that individuals can engage with the projects that are very interesting for them in the locality that they have. And then uh, from the Family History Library, many more of our courses coming online, much more collaborative projects, and the ability to get research help at a distance in ways that we've never been able to offer it. Fantastic. It's an exciting time. Thank you so much, Don, for joining us here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You'll find the show notes for this episode, which include all the links I've talked about at my website, genealogygems.com. And there you'll also discover a lot more tips and tools for finding your family history in my podcasts, the blog posts, books, and videos. Become a Genealogy Gems premium member, and you're also going to get access to exclusive content 
like my full-length video classes and the premium podcast episodes. We have a new one of those coming out every month. Now, if you have any questions about this episode, or if you'd like to share your experiences on how the podcast has impacted your own family history journey, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at genealogygemspodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 925-272-4021 and we might just play it here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.